reading this morning out of Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him, cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Word of the Lord. Thanks, Daniel. You may be seated. Dismiss our school-age kids to the back. I just want to note before we start that uh, Luke's, uh, Luke's talk does not go into my time, so if you started your started your clocks is starting now don't uh no look i'm excited to be here this morning um and i think i finally have caught up on sleep from d now i'm hoping our host homes have too um look it was an incredible weekend it was a really good weekend um i've talked to a lot of our students, I've heard back from them. I've heard back from our college leaders. I've been texting them this week, kind of following up to check on them, making sure they were they were getting their sleep because they didn't get Monday off like we did. Um, gotten feedback from them on what on kind of what they thought. I've talked to our student lead team, and kind of the consensus is that it was a huge success, right? Um, but but I want to say this: we we had 65. I mean, glory to God, 65 students uh, there last weekend. But the number of students didn't make this a success, right? This is, we good? All right. Uh, the number of students didn't make it a success, right? And it wasn't because we had these great, kicking back, is it? All right, keep going. All right. It wasn't because we had these great host homes. We had some phenomenal families who opened their homes to our kids and who, who shared with them. We had great uh, MCs who provided incredible food and snacks the whole weekend. I thought Eddie absolutely did a great job all three sessions. Luke did a great job bringing it home Sunday morning. Uh, great preaching, but none of that is why it was good. I, I, I think it was a success because I saw, because we saw our students taste and see that God is good. And that was the goal of our weekend, right? Look, we, we saw students who had anxieties about even being there. We saw those wiped out. We saw students with fears about parts of the weekend. 
completely met head on and wiped away. I know there were some incredible questions that were asked and that were answered and some great discussions. I've heard about some of our students starting Bible studies. I've heard about some of them uh, seeking accountability, right? But, but the goal was never for our students to simply have a great weekend and to get a small taste, right? We wanted them to taste the goodness of God and then chase that taste. We wanted them to, to, to want that forever and always to be just a, uh, an ever-present part of their lives. We wanted them to see that God is good and then wholeheartedly pursue him and walk with him throughout middle school and high school, college, and even beyond. Our prayer was and, and will always be, as Luke mentioned, even a, leaving a legacy, right, that generations from now, that there are many walking with Jesus and tasting the goodness of God because someone before them led them to a drink that never leaves you thirsty, to a taste that always satisfies forever. That's our goal. That's our heart. And we started to see the beginnings of that and our prayers that that continues on. And we can look in our passage today in Mark and we can see that some of those had tasted and seen how good God is. And others in there had clearly seen but had not tasted for themselves. Like we see many pressing into Jesus because they've heard about him and they want to taste for themselves, right? While the Pharisees, <laughs> they, they stood to the side with their noses turned up like I do when Colby Cathcart tries to get me to eat something weird, you know? Um, Jesus is here in the synagogue, right, along with the Pharisees. And they all see this man with the withered hand. And, and as I'm reading this, it just seems like the perfect setup for creating tension and anticipation in a movie, right? You know, Jesus wants to heal, right? <laughs> but it's the Sabbath and the Pharisees are watching. Tune in next week to see what happens. But, but the problem is like, and here's the good thing, we don't have to wait until next week to see what happens because we know who Jesus is and we know that he's good and we know what's going to happen. And I want you to think about being in that situation yourself, right? Like how often do we find the man with the withered hand in the same room with the only one who can heal that withered hand? And here's where we find ourselves. Like think about being in the same room with Jesus in that situation right there. A man who you know has the power to heal. And then seeing someone in that room who has some sort of disability or exceptionality or needs some sort of healing. I would hope we would all be standing around with this in incredible anticipation about what Jesus is about to do. And I feel like I would just be giddy with excitement, like, look at what I'm about to get to see. This is going to be incredible because we know who Jesus is. But not the Pharisees. See, they are, they are eagerly awaiting, all right, but it's, it's not to see a miracle. They're waiting to see if Jesus will do something that's on their don't list. And this is what a, re a religious spirit looks like. See, religion is about do's and don'ts and cans and can'ts, right? But following Jesus, it's not about rules. It's not about seeing how far you can stretch or go within those boundaries before you actually break the rules. See, following Jesus is simple. It's about loving God and loving others. And that's what we see Jesus doing here. But it's not a matter of life or death, right? It's just just a withered hand. Couldn't it have waited a day? Did he have to do it on the Sabbath? And how hateful is that to even have that thought, right? Like what if it was our withered hand? Wouldn't we want Jesus to heal it at the first chance he got? 
And we see these religious leaders of the time, they're so caught up in a legalistic set of rules, they completely miss the heart of Jesus. And how often has that happened to us? Maybe it's not insisting that someone with some sort of physical deformity wait a day to have their surgery, but, but, but maybe it is us. Maybe it's, maybe it's us living what we consider to be a good and godly life, right? Watching God bless others in ways that we want for ourselves. And instead of watching God work wonders in the lives of our family and friends, or, or maybe even the lives of complete strangers, and celebrating the power of the God of the universe, we pout. And just like the Pharisees, we stand around and point to what we think God is doing wrong. And we miss God at work. See, it shouldn't matter where we see him at work. Like if we get to be included at all, if we get to witness it at all. So many Tuesdays, we, we pray for you guys. Luke mentioned that. And a lot of times Jason will pray and, and so many times in his prayers, he's like, God, thank you for letting us be a part of this. And that's, this is that idea. Like, if we get to see it at all, like, we should be shouting from the mountaintops. Like, there are people in my life who I love dearly, who I am praying. I'm praying for them that they'll come to faith. Like, I hope they have a chance to see God at work. Like, how might that change their view of the God that I know to be so good and so caring and so loving? Like, would they witness the one true God at work and know for the first time that God is calling them into a relationship with him? Like, what if it's through this act that I'm standing around turning my nose up at that they see for the first time, that they taste and see that God is good? And so in our passage today, there's so much going on. I'm going to look at four things that we see Jesus do here. The first is this. Jesus exposed the religious spirit of the Pharisees. I want to look at verse 4 again. It says, And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. See, it took nothing more than a question to silence all those waiting to see what Jesus would do, just waiting for him to break the religious laws. But when faced with a simple question, Is it lawful to do good or do harm? to save life or to kill, they have no answer. And see, this is an easy question because there's only one answer. It's an obvious answer, but they don't answer at all. We just see them watching to see if Jesus is going to break the law, if he does something on their don't list. And this whole time they miss Jesus. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it either attracts or it repels. Tim Keller says that the gospel of Jesus Christ is an offense to religion and irreligion. And you don't have to look any further than verse 6 to see that. The Pharisees and the Herodians are together outside of the synagogue, conspiring, it says, to destroy Jesus. Let that sink in for a minute. Now, this is early in his ministry, right? Like he hasn't even called the disciples yet. He's, he's about to, but he hasn't done that yet. And we see Jesus in, in his ministry speak in this sort of cryptic code a lot that, about what's coming, about the crucifixion, about his death and his burial and his resurrection. We see this sort of thing that we're, we kind of maybe don't understand completely, and certainly the, the, the disciples didn't. But he hasn't even been doing any of that yet. And these people are already vehemently opposed to him. And Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath, and they immediately get together and 
form a plan, right? So, so why is this such a, a, a big deal? It's because the, the Pharisees and the Herodians were on opposite sides. They were not allies. But I guess the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? The Herodians were the last people the Pharisees should have been partnering with. They were a non-religious political group whose loyalty was to the Herods and to the kingdom of Rome. So for a people who claim to be a people of God, by doing this, the Pharisees have now moved far from being a people of God. See, this healing on the Sabbath, it, it repelled the religious leaders and scholars, and it united them with the group of people that they despised. This religious spirit that we see in the Pharisees, it, it, although it's typically what we would think about when we think about the Pharisees, it is far from the heart of God. This religious spirit is detrimental to our spiritual growth, to our spiritual maturity. And we see a much different spirit in those who aren't focused on religion. We can look ahead to the next little section in the passage we read and see that there were so many people who united to see Jesus in support of Jesus that he had to ask for a boat so that he wouldn't be crushed. See, the gospel attracts or it repels. See, for those who have tasted and seen, it attracts. But for those who haven't, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the word of the cross is folly. It's, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Secondly, we see that Jesus restored the broken. See, we see over and over again throughout Jesus' life just how much he loves people. And look, he knows, Jesus knows the Pharisees are waiting, right? They're waiting to jump at the idea that he's healing on Sabbath. He knows they're setting a trap to see what he'll do, yet he wants them and he wants us to see his heart in these moments. We see the compassion of Jesus here. So although he knows the Pharisees are waiting to call him out, he, he heals the man anyway because he wants their attention and, and he wants our attention. And while the Pharisees would argue that he had broken the law, Jesus wants us to see this act of compassion is not forbidden by the law, but it's demanded by the law. I mean, Jesus is the law, right? Like imagine meeting someone who invented a game that you've never heard of or played before and them telling you about it and you trying to tell them why they're wrong or how to play the game, right? Like, like that doesn't make any sense. In other words, like how can the Pharisees tell Jesus he's breaking the same law that he came to fulfill? And so not only is he showing us his heart, but he's clearly showing us the true purpose of the Sabbath. I had a great, great quote from Tim Keller, I think is on the screen. It says, the Sabbath is about restoring the diminished. It's about replenishing the drained. It's about repairing the broken. See, as Jesus said at the end of chapter 2, the Sabbath was made for man Right? James says that all good and perfect gifts are from above. God has given us this incredible gift of the Sabbath and rest. Like He literally designed this for us because he certainly doesn't need rest, right? The Sabbath is a gift from God so that we can be restored and replenished and repaired. Like What an opportunity that we miss to taste and see that God is indeed good. We complain like... If we're honest, I know I do this, and I've tried to catch myself, but we even brag about being tired and busy. And the one who made us is telling us to slow down, to stop. And we just keep going. 
Like it, it doesn't make any sense. God wants to restore the broken. Today in the gift of the Sabbath is a major way that he gives us for that. So we've seen Jesus' anger and his grief as he exposes this religious spirit. And we've seen his compassion as he restores the broken. And then we see his power as he frees the afflicted. The third point is that Jesus freed the afflicted. See, the, the demons know who he is. It says they call him by name. They fall down, they cry out to Jesus. We see the power and authority of Jesus in this moment. Like, I don't know if this makes any sense. I thought about this. I was at the post office the other day, and this guy in a truck, I, I've seen his face. I wasn't sure who he was, but he's like, ah, I thought that was you, coach. And I thought, man, what a great little small town. To just, it's just, I'm just coach. That's great. But if I were 100 miles south or 200 miles south or north or east or west, no one would know that I was coach. No one would have any idea who I am or what I do. But these demons, they know who Jesus is right now. And everywhere he goes, they know. And they call out to him. He doesn't have to tell them who he is. And I think that we sometimes miss the power of Jesus. It's like we intellectually know that God wins, right? Like, like we know that he can defeat demons and evil spirits, but do we really, like can we really picture that? Can we really imagine that? See, how many of us in this room know someone who has been tormented by evil spirits? Like maybe, maybe it's not the exorcist, right? Maybe it's not the picture that we think about in the movie, but maybe their entire life has been ravaged by an addiction to alcohol or drugs to pornography or possessions. Like maybe you've watched someone battle these demons. Man, many of you in here have brought things to life that have been ripping you apart. I know people in this room right now, people who I love deeply, who have been set free. So many people, so many struggles, but none of them are a match for the freedom you found in Jesus because he set you free. And as you've laid them at his feet, like they've cried out and they've understood their inevitable defeat. Because when you take them to Jesus, it's over. As you struggle, still today, you take those to the feet of the Father and the demons shudder. Strongholds and chains are broken as Jesus is freeing the afflicted, the tormented, the addicted, the abused, the abusers, and all who will come to him, like, don't miss that. Don't miss his power. If that's you today, take it to him. If you've seen someone set free, or if you've been set free yourself, don't miss the incredible miracle that Jesus offers us when he shows us and he sets us free. We come to this place where Jesus is about to call his disciples, and we see his, his heart revealed and his purpose for calling them. Because our fourth point today is this, is that Jesus sent the called. See, Jesus calls the disciples so that they can be near him. And he wants us to be near him now. He calls them to spend time with him so they can learn from him and become more like him. And he does this for the purpose of sending them out so they could preach and love people well. He says they'll be able to cast out demons. And we go on to see them heal in the name of Jesus. 
and these 12 aren't random. These 12 are the ones that Jesus desired, and they came to him. Church, Jesus desires us. He wants us to come to him today, not in a spirit of religion or legalism, do's, don'ts, can's, can'ts, but in a spirit of freedom and power. You know, as I feel him call me, sometimes he's talking to me, speaks to me. I find myself standing, watching him at work, or maybe even about to work. And far more than I'd care to admit, I tend to do that with this spirit of religion, right? Sometimes I'm, I'm not standing there giddy with excitement, waiting to see what God's going to do. I'm not just excited that I get to be included and I get to be a part of it. I'm not watching in awe to see what incredible things he's going to do this time. See, sometimes I'm watching. I'm just waiting to see if he's going to do things the way I want them done. Right? I'm ashamed of the number of times I've, I've watched, prepared, prepared, like thinking in my mind like this, <laughs> that I'm going to be indignant, right? That he's blessed someone that's less deserving than I am. Right, the God of the universe is changing someone's can't to can, and I miss him at work, all because I'm too busy being worried and upset that he's not doing it for me. Like so many other believers, I can get, I can get stuck on some list of rules that I probably created on my own or I took out of context from some scripture, and I get upset when Jesus breaks these rules, <laughs> When he doesn't follow my rules, right? How dare he? <laughs> Look, just as Jesus called the 12, church, he's calling me and he's calling you to spend time with him so that he can send us out. He's calling us into him so that we can know him so well that we begin to act like him, to love like him, and to forgive like him. See, he's calling us into him so that he can send us out into a world that doesn't know how to do those things. But see, he's, don't miss this, he's calling us into him to spend time with him, to be with him. You know, all three of our kids are at college now, and so we don't, we don't see them that often, but when they come in, you know, especially over the holidays, it isn't just this like, Hey, Mom and Dad, great to see you. Let me spend time with you guys. It's, I got to schedule time with this friend or that friend and go do this and that. And, you know, we're okay with that mostly. Um, <laughs> but when they come home or when we go see them, like our desire is to spend time with them, not to hear about what they're doing with someone else. But this is how the Father feels about his children. And it's not rooted out of some selfish desire to be around his kids, right? Like, I haven't seen you in a while. Like, he wants to spend time with us because he loves us. But don't miss that he's also sending us out. See, he's sending some of us to other parts of the state, some of us to other parts of the country, and some of us to other parts of the world. Wherever that may be, Make no mistake, church, he is calling us into him to show us his heart and to send us out to show that heart to others. See, as Jesus works in us, 
to expose our own religious spirit that we are so often prone to, as he's restoring and setting free so that he can send us out. We've got to acknowledge our own propensity to have that religious spirit. I'm sure you could think about a time when you've conjured up something hateful, some hateful thought and an act of love from God, simply because it doesn't fit the mold that we've created for him. And so we must be wary of our own religious spirit. As we look to God, we should watch with genuine, sincere awe and wonder to see how he's about to work. You know, I always think about this. This is, let's go to Exodus 14. And you guys have heard me. I know our students have heard this. But, you know, they're standing at the Red Sea. And they start crying and whining. And God, why have you brought us out of here? There's not enough graves in Egypt. And I always think about there's like, you know, one or two people that are just like, they got to be faithful. Hey, guys, God's, gonna, God's got us. He's going to do this, right? And maybe they have no idea how he's going to do it. Like he's going to send a boat or he's going to, there's no way they could have imagined that God was about to split the seas apart so they could walk through on dry ground. So what is it today that you're expecting? Like it's above and beyond anything that we could ever think to imagine. So we should wait, anticipating the unthinkable and hoping with all that is in us that Jesus is about to do something that we can't even imagine. Like we should watch expectantly, expectantly for him to restore and to set free, to seek out that person who is far from God and to draw them to himself. See, we should expect that three-month timetable the doctors gave our friend is wrong and that we'll be looking back amazed at what God did 10 years later because he's greater than any diagnosis. We should anticipate God providing in unique and unfathomable ways when we lose our job and financial crisis hits. We should expect him to draw us in and then send us out. Why wouldn't we expect those things? And as we walk through and live out these expectations, we should be united together in the name of Jesus as we expect these things. How do we do that? What does that look like? I think there's two things you have to understand right here. And the first is that we must step out in faith. See, look at what Jesus tells the man with the withered hand. He tells him, he says, come here. And that seems simple enough, right? As this man approaches Jesus, he is taking literal steps of faith, right? But here's the deal. If he didn't have faith that Jesus could heal him, he wouldn't have taken any of those steps. And I'm not sure exactly what it is for you this morning. In just a moment, we're going we're gonna to take communion, but I'm going to ask you to take some time during that time and ask God to show you where that religious spirit might be creeping up in you. Ask God, ask God to help you guard against that in your life. Ask someone around you to help guard against that, especially if you know you're inclined towards those thoughts. I want to plead, plead with you to seek restoration where you're broken. I want to encourage you to ask the Father to set you free from whatever afflictions might be weighing you down today. I want to challenge you to ask the Father where he's sending you. What's he calling you to? Because Jesus asked us to trust him and to put all of our faith and hope in him. And so today he might be just giving you one step. That's the step of faith. This is the man with the withered hand listening and obeying, coming to Jesus. Church, sometimes it's not a big step. Sometimes it's just something very, very minor. Sometimes it might be something that seems absolutely absurd and crazy. 
What is that step for you today? Would you be bold enough to risk obeying him? See, Jesus calls us to a step of faith. And then secondly, he calls us to take an action step. So there's faith, and then we have to put that in play. Because Jesus tells the man, he says, come here. And the man does, and then he says, stretch out your hand. So the man had to do something, right? The man did just that, and he was restored. Because an an action step is actually doing something. You know, it's, it's one thing to say you're going to make that phone call to ask for forgiveness, to offer forgiveness, to seek help. It's another thing to actually make that phone call. Sometimes, and I'd probably say most of the time, probably all the time in my life, we, we we're, we're don't ever unlock what this action step is. See, we want to skip the step of faith and just say, God, I'll do it right? Like, I, I don't need to show you anything. I'll just do whatever it is that you want me to do. But most of the time, we don't unlock what this action step is until we've actually stepped out in faith with Jesus. See, it's usually after that step we begin to see the bigger picture unfold and to get an idea of what he's asking us to do. See, I, Luke mentioned this a couple weeks ago, I always want God to show me the end. I just show me where you want me to go, what it is you want me to do, and, 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 and I'll move heaven and hell to get there and do it. I'll do whatever. Just, just show me where you want me to go. Give me the end. And God says, no, I'm going to tell you what I want you to do today. And again, God doesn't listen to me a lot of times. I, don't, I haven't figured it out yet. It's, it's, it's that idea of just show me the destination, and then let's buckle up and go, right? But it just seems he really does that. And so I started to think as I was writing this this week, how many action steps have I never had the opportunity to take because I refuse to trust him and step out in faith? Like, what have I missed? See, all these people in this passage that we've covered today, they're probably all sitting in here right now. They're probably represented in some way today. Some of us have a religious spirit self-righteousness we try to earn our righteousness through our works our good deeds some of us are broken we're hiding it we're holding on to it some of us are afflicted there's those those evil spirits there's those demons weighing you down church those demons will cry out to jesus some of you right now are being called out to something you never could have imagined Maybe somewhere you never could have imagined. I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and start coming back up. And, and, and I'm going to ask you to take some time to pray right where you are with someone around you. I'm asking you this. What is God calling you to in faith today and what are you going to do about it? See, maybe it's something as simple as volunteering for one of our serve teams. Maybe it's exploring, fostering, or adopting. Maybe it's giving like you've never given before. Maybe it's moving, planning a church. Maybe it's selling everything you own and moving overseas to serve him there. Could be just that that you need to seek forgiveness from someone. Or a harder step, maybe you need to forgive someone who doesn't deserve it. So we're going to take communion in just a minute. But I want you to take this time to ask God what it is he's calling you to today and what step or what steps he's asking you to take.
I'm going to wrap up with this. We, we, we see in this passage where Jesus tells someone or a group of people to come to him. And each time in this passage, they come. He tells the, withered, the, the man with the withered hand, come to me, and he does. He tells him to stretch it out, and the man's hand is healed. We see these crowds that heard all about what Jesus was doing. What'd they do? They came to Jesus and says they were healed. They pressed around him just to touch him and were healed. We see him call the disciples, and they came to him. In verses 7 and 8, we see that the crowds came from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Adumea, from beyond the Jordan to Tyre and Sidon. Some of these cities were over 130 miles away. It would have been almost a week's journey for them to come see Jesus. It's about like going from Bozier to Alexandria. See, these people had never tasted the goodness of Jesus, but they had heard about everyone who, who was tasting. Sacrifice over a week of their life to come to Jesus. So look, we're about to take communion. And you don't have to be a member of Covenant Church to partake. You just have to be a follower of Jesus. And I want you to take some time and pray and ask what God's asking of you today. And look, you're going to have to take, you have to get up and take some physical steps to, to come to one of the serving tables we have set up around here and to, to, to take the bread and dip it in the juice. That's going to require you to take some action steps, some physical steps there. But before you come, just ask what the Father has for you today. And then as you walk, as you take those steps up, here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. All of you, those with the religious spirit, those who feel self-righteous, those who are broken, those who are afflicted, those who are being called right now, don't just come to the table. Church, this morning, come to Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you're here for us. God, that we don't have to do anything. You're not a God who asks us to do something just to lay it at your feet and you do all the doing that needs to be done. God, we lay down our religious spirits, our, our self-righteousness today. God, for those who are broken in this room, who need restoration, who need healing, God, would they come to you? God, for those who are, who are being weighed down, who are, who are battling what feels like insurmountable forces, free the afflicted today and God in this room maybe some students maybe some adults that you're calling right now to something that they never could have imagined somewhere they've never even heard of God I pray that we would risk being obedient to you Father as we come to the table Come and take these steps, God. Pray that as you've answered and told us what you're asking of us today, that we would come to you this morning. Father, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Tables are open. Come when you're ready.